if you notice that there are loops of thought that you get into, again, it might be helpful to notice rather than them carrying you away without you being quite aware of it. You may even notice actually that on closer inspection, the thoughts just occur spontaneously rather than you actively thinking them. It might be kind of a full movie script running at the back of your mind. If you notice, you might be able to challenge it. You have found the Thinking Mind podcast. This week it's Anya and I have an audio essay. For today's audio essay, I'd like to talk about what anxiety and depression can be like to experience and the role of our thoughts in these conditions. Before I get going, I do want to underline again that these are our thoughts on how to answer these questions. We don't expect to give a definite answer on this podcast. Some of this will ring true for you, some of it won't, but hopefully it stimulates some thought and discussion. It's in no way a replacement for seeking medical advice, but hopefully can complement any information that you receive in your treatment. So in this episode, I'll discuss what it might feel like to have anxiety and depression, spend some time thinking about ruminations, what they might be, how to challenge some of those thoughts, but also the stickiness of anxiety and low mood. I'll also spend some time thinking about things that might be helpful, like thinking about your strengths, but also coping mechanisms. So I've been wondering about what might be useful to do in the early stages of illness, rather like how now we check people's blood sugar levels and if they're at a pre-diabetes stage, we tell them that things are reversible, lifestyle changes might be all they need in order to not develop diabetes. So what might that look like with mental health? So we often talk about things like psychoeducation as being a really important intervention. So I've been wondering what it might be that is really important to learn with psychoeducation. Are there things that everyone should understand about their mind? And in part, I'm coming to this from a clinical perspective where I know both in secondary care services and I imagine in primary care, we probably just don't have the time in all instances to discuss these things in as much detail. So I hope this may in some way be helpful. So first things first, it's always important in medicine to think about what is the evidence base for everything that we do. And I was really pleased to see that actually there very much is an evidence base for psychoeducation. There've been a mixture of reviews of original studies and they found that across studies, there's good evidence, particularly for instance, in young people and teaching them things like social and emotional learning. They found that this can reduce symptoms of depression and anxiety in the short term. And things like cognitive behavioral therapy interventions can also be helpful, including in those with minimal but detectable signs of depression. And those kind of skills includes things like learning how to identify your emotions, how to articulate them, how to talk about them, and also how to regulate them, as well as more general communication skills, empathy, learning how to take other people's perspective. For young people, evidence on other fairly common interventions that you may have heard of, like mindfulness training, is a bit more mixed. Some studies have found a positive impact. Others have found that there isn't, and it seems like motivation might be a key factor. So if you're up for doing it, it may well work better for you than if it's something a school forces upon you. What seems to have the biggest impact? Active psychoeducation. So getting involved with the education that you're receiving, be that reading a book, which teaches you some of these skills, having a discussion with a clinician where you can ask questions, things like that have a bigger impact. But actually, even passive psychoeducation, so reading a leaflet, that works too. 
So step one, what kind of things might people experience when we talk about anxiety or depression? I guess an important point to make is that there is a huge range. So everything from occasional flashes of feelings that probably are just part of the range of normal human emotion. After all, sadness and worrying have their functions. But like many physical illnesses, psychiatric conditions can occur as a result of normal processes becoming exaggerated. And so these feelings can become serious, constant difficulties that have a huge impact on day-to-day life. Anxiety is something that can be quite hard to define, so I'm actually just going to focus on talking about what it can feel like. It often comes with both physical and psychological symptoms. There can be lots of different flavours of anxiety, so it might come out of nowhere without any clear trigger, or it may be very related to being in a specific situation, like a social situation like public speaking, or going outside, going on public transport. It may involve feeling really hot, really sweaty, clammy, feeling like your heart's racing, like your tummy's really uncomfortable. People can get diarrhoea, constipation. Sometimes people can feel really, really sick. That can often be something that they'll wake up with. It often involves feeling scared, like everything is awful. People may have a really intense feeling of being on edge, feeling like you're being judged. Things like feeling like your tongue is too big for your mouth. Feeling or thinking like everyone thinks that you're stupid or that you're boring. A really key thing about it is that it's exhausting. It doesn't tend to stop with just a bit of reassurance. Sometimes doesn't even stop if time has passed. It can be there all day, perhaps getting slightly better towards the evening. Or conversely, people may feel okay on waking, but it gets worse as the day goes on. It may be a general sense of unease that is just there somewhere in the background. It may also get strong really, really quickly with a whole set of physical symptoms and also, again, feel like something awful's happening or like you might be about to die. And this is what we sometimes call a panic attack. Anxiety can be really closely linked with depression symptoms or they can be totally separate. For a number of people, though, they do come quite hand in hand. Sometimes people might say that after some days of really high anxiety, they notice that their mood dips. And then... When we talk about depression and low mood, things that people might feel is that their sleeps got worse, they might lose their appetite, they can't enjoy anything, even things that they used to like. This may happen in response to something stressful that's happened, or it can come out of nowhere, prior to that having felt, you know, okay. People might feel like their mind is racing, or it's worrying around loads of worries, Or people might feel that they're just really stuck in feeling low. And this might be such that people also feel like they can't concentrate on anything. They can't keep track of conversations with others around them. Sometimes people also feel like everyone around them is just really annoying and irritating. Even people that they got on with quite fine before. They might feel like getting out of bed is a struggle. Or having the drive to do anything. It can feel like walking through treacle or having the flu. It can feel really quite physical and like it's absolutely impossible to find energy to do anything. People may end up thinking quite badly of themselves, so thoughts like, why can't I just focus? Why can't I get on with anyone? Why can't I do what everyone else does? I'm useless. Why would anyone like me? And thoughts like that may become stronger and more ingrained, and just go round and round. This may all get so hard that actually people just don't feel anything. They're not even sad. They're indifferent. Nothing matters, and sometimes it can feel like it's not worth being alive anymore, or that everyone else would be better off without them. 
sometimes people might harm themselves and that's sometimes used as a way to try and deal with the mental pain. Sometimes it's used to distract from it. Sometimes just to feel something. Sometimes it also comes as an attempt to end life. At the more severe end of what I've described, I think receiving some explanations for the experience perhaps may help people feel less alone, but it's really important to go and speak to a professional. But if things aren't at that end, it may be helpful to have a bit more of a think on if anything rings true or seems familiar. As a first point, it might be helpful to notice what your emotions are and actually develop some awareness of how you feel at different moments. It might be helpful to check out Alex's previous podcast on emotions if it feels tricky to even know how to name what different emotions might be. It's little wonder, really, because it's not something that we specifically learn to do or learn how to be aware of our emotions. You may find that it's helpful to notice if there are situations that bring on anxiety in particular, or if there's patterns of negative thoughts that will pass through your mind and darken your mood without you being quite aware why. This can be called developing emotional literacy. And some psychoanalytic theories say actually that parents do this quite naturally with children, but it can be disrupted for any number of reasons. And then developing these skills in a different way, for instance, through therapy, may be quite important. If you notice that there are loops of thought that you get into, again, it might be helpful to notice rather than them carrying you away without you being quite aware of it. You may even notice actually that on closer inspection, the thoughts just occur spontaneously rather than you actively thinking them. The thoughts you might notice are, for instance, walking into a social situation and you might realise that there's something running through your head saying, I'm ugly, I'm terrible at making conversation, I'm so boring, why would anyone talk to me? This will be awful. It might be kind of a full movie script running at the back of your mind. If you notice you might be able to challenge it. You might be able to say, well, I may or may not be attractive, but I know plenty of unattractive people. doesn't have to make a difference to their life. I don't like making conversation with new people, but I have managed to make a go of it before. Even when I haven't, nothing awful has ever happened to me. You might get to making a joke out of it. Well, I guess I'm really worried about all this because in the jungle, it would be awful to be outcast from the group. But nowadays, I'm not going to starve to death just because the leader of the pack doesn't find me scintillating. You may even use it as an icebreaker. Anyone else feel like the floor's about to fall out from under them because they don't know anyone? And discover that actually that everyone's a bit caught up in their own head. And everyone's thinking some version of these things. We can call these loops of negative, unproductive thought ruminations. Like a cow that chews grass over and over again without much movement forward. Ruminations can make us feel stuck, frustrated, and convinced that the inability to solve the problem they're telling us about is true. They can convince us that we are worthless and hopeless and incapable of achieving what we want. But one thing that is certain in life is that there are very few certainties, and everything at some point will change. But one trick of anxious thought or ruminations is that they do feel incredibly real and true. Fortunately, this is usually not the case, and they are up to being challenged. And this is a skill that you may well develop if you, for instance, have some treatment with CBT. It'll work with you to identify a negative thought, 
because the theory is that the negative thought will generate a negative feeling or an emotion. And this can become quite a powerful cycle. But actually, it can equally powerfully be broken down. As I say, this is something that you may experience if undergoing CBT. But that isn't the only way in which you can train yourself to distinguish between your thoughts about reality and reality itself. CBT tends to teach us that thoughts, emotional states and behaviours are all interrelated. And it teaches us how to modify our thinking and behaviour in particular, but also how to manage different emotional states. Anxious thoughts and ruminations are also quite good at clinging to any situation that you're in. It may well be that something has just triggered some anxious emotions or some sadness, but that anxiety or sadness may avalanche. And the reason you're feeling that way, for instance, is because your boss gave you some hard feedback, you've got lots of deadlines, your friends are being difficult. How will you ever manage to get on top of all the tasks that you've got? You're not going to manage to pay rent this month. These are all problems, of course, but in a good moment, they're problems that you're probably up to solving. In a bad moment, your mind may make them into a catastrophe. Anxiety or low mood might amplify them, or make them seem like these thoughts and these problems are the cause of that anxiety or low mood. A converse to identifying your negative thoughts and ruminations may also be to spend some time reflecting on what it is that makes you happy, what makes you who you are. What are the things that drive you, motivate you, bring you satisfaction? Are they the things that you're filling your life with at the moment? Or are there changes that your life could benefit from? And this is potentially one function of sadness or worry when they're not at an intense level. For instance, for some people, COVID lockdowns seem to be a real catalyst for change. Obviously also for others, the stress of the whole lockdown situation coming out of it actually may have been a trigger for emotional difficulties. So have a think about what your strengths are, what you believe in yourself for, and what kind of things are you grateful for, and use these as fodder for challenging the negative thoughts. Once you've got a bit more knowledge and understanding of yourself, your emotions, you may also think about what kind of attitude you might want to cultivate. Negative emotions are normal and part of life. Often, though again, not always, they can be useful and important signals from the world that can help you move forward. Life is just really frustrating sometimes. Can you encourage yourself to develop some acceptance of negative emotions? To accept that sometimes things will be really rough, but actually you know that you can tolerate it, you know that it will pass, and you know what your strengths are, so that you can do it. It isn't all awful. Or, in some cases, can you use those negative feelings to inform what changes you may need to make? With time, you may also find that actually you have some choice and control of what happens with your emotions. For instance, you might find that you can take some time before yelling at your parent or your friend or hitting out at them. You've got an awareness of being irritable or angry because you've spent some time thinking about what emotions you're feeling. And so you can step out and then avoid the aftermath of potentially feeling even worse. Or you might be aware that you are feeling really anxious, for instance, about meeting up with friends. So you might take some time to give yourself some compassion. You might share that with a friend, allow them to comfort and reassure you. And perhaps 
go meet with them after all. Paradoxically, vulnerability can be a sign of strength, and your mind will often interpret your willingness to be vulnerable as a sign that the environment is safe, particularly if your vulnerabilities are accepted by the people around you. Or even if you decide not to go to that meetup with friends, instead of going into feeling awful about yourself for this, you may allow some of their compassion and some of your own compassion to fill your mind instead. Having spent more time developing some awareness of the kinds of negative thoughts that can occur to you in those moments, that might help you not go into them. So this point about reaching out to someone or being honest about how you feel takes me into thinking about coping strategies. The reality is that no one can sort out for you how you feel. Not the best therapist in the world, not your parent or best friend. Hopefully though what they can do is stand by your side and help pick you back up whilst you go on this journey of figuring out what it is that helps you and what doesn't. You may find that there are particular friends who are really supportive or help you refocus and think about situations in a refreshing way. Have them on your speed dial. Through self-reflection, you may find or figure out what kind of situations are contributing to anxiety. And you may then think about breaking them down into manageable chunks and exposing yourself to these situations little by little. It may be essential to identify what is contributing to your difficult emotions and attempt to change these things in a manageable, consistent way. And I would argue, don't underestimate the power of things that may seem a bit simple or silly. For instance, you know, if there's a TV show or music or podcast that's really comforting, have that ready. Make a note of what that is. You may find that you're someone who needs to give yourself physical comfort or give yourself some warmth. Try a nice hand cream and give yourself a foot or a hand massage at a moment where you're feeling particularly low. You might be someone who really needs a solid bedtime routine and regularity and the right amount of sleep. Prioritise that. You may need physical activity or art or moments in nature. Get those fitted in. It may be impossible to fit any of these into the hecticness of your life right now. So it might be that you have to take five minutes on the tube or on the bus between jobs where you sit and you put your phone away and you look out the window or you watch something relaxing on your phone rather than scrolling through. I want to underline that these aren't things that necessarily can happen just in isolation. You may well need to be speaking to your GP about starting treatment in some way. But I think having this information gives you a little bit more power over things that you can do. So in summary, the things that I've talked about is a bit about how anxiety and depression might feel. I've talked about what we mean by ruminations or repetitive negative thoughts. And also I've broached the idea of challenging them. I've also talked about taking some time out to get to know yourself and identifying what's important to you. And finally, I've touched on starting to think about coping mechanisms or distractions. Thank you so much for listening today. Aside from my training in my clinical job and the people that I've met at work, the things that have really influenced my thinking on this are a couple books and also the resources for some of the studies that I mentioned. So I'll pop those in the episode information. But if you find that those don't particularly work for you, find your own and let us know what it is that was good. You are listening to the Thinking Mind podcast. 
Thank you so much for listening to this episode. If you enjoyed it, please share it with a friend or give us a rating. It really does help people to find us. If you find the podcast valuable, why not buy us a coffee to help keep us going? There's a link in the show notes. As ever, we love to hear from you and love to hear what you think. So drop us an email or get in touch on social media. Thank you so much.